0: Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by our teaching pastor, Ian Simpkins, as we begin a brand new series, When God Behaves Badly. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box, at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. Is anybody a little worried about getting struck by lightning right now? It's just... (laughs) I think we're going to make it. Um, i wonder, does anybody here get like one of those uh, verse of the days sent to your, your phone or your, uh, your email or don't lie, you just can see you obviously. Um, yeah, so like for example, this one here, uh, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Like that's, that's a whole sermon right there, right? And usually these verse of the days, there's something, you know, short like that and it's inspiring and it's meaningful and it kind of gets us through our day or a week. But there are plenty of verses in the Bible, though, that would never make the cut for this verse of the day option, right? Like, I think of verses like this. Uh, Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of linen, right? Like, like, even God knew that polyester suits were not a good idea, right? That's. Here's another one that would never make the cut. Uh, Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Uh, Thanks, I guess. I don't, I wasn't intending to? I don't. (laughs) What am I supposed to do with that? Maybe most importantly, this one here. Uh, Do not associate with anyone who puts pineapple on their pizza. (laughs) Um, If you're not clapping, you're wrong. Um, Okay. All right. So that one's obviously made up, but I do need to confess something to you. Um, When I was a youth pastor uh, for four years, Every card I signed, I put this particular reference from 2 Kings here. 2 Kings 4.40. I would just put that in the card without any commentary, without any insight. I just put that in the card for four years for every card I signed. Do you want to know what that passage actually reads? Here's what it says. The stew was poured out for the men, but as they began to eat it, they cried out, Man of God, there's death in the pot. (laughs) And no one ever called me on this. (laughs) So either they're just not reading it, or they're like, Pastor Ian's a crazy person. He's, <laughs> he's lost his entire mind. But as Sherry mentioned, though, we're calling this series God Behaving Badly for, for a couple of reasons. One, there are some passages that when we read them, if we're honest, are, are really confusing. Some of them are downright troubling, particularly in the Old Testament. Now, this is also a book. There's a book called God Behaving Badly by author and Old Testament theologian uh, David T. Lamb highly encourage you to pick up that book, actually, because we'll only have a couple of minutes together here, but that book will go way, way deeper into some of these stories. If you've ever read The God of the Old Testament, perhaps you, too, have had that same thought. What is going on here? Is this what God is actually like? And so that's why we're embarking on this journey together. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to ask these questions here. Is God violent, or is he peaceful? Is he angry, or loving? Is he sexist or empowering? And today we're going to ask the question is God legalistic or is he gracious? Is he legalistic or is he gracious? Now, a quick note about how we're going to refer to God for the duration of this series. Because in your Bible, you'll read a couple of different translations of how God is referred to, but by far, the most common name given to God over 6,000 times is the word Yahweh. Let me hear you say Yahweh. In your English translations, it's often translated capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh. Now, the the reason that I think it's important, actually, particularly for this series, to refer to God by Yahweh is because that's his name. It's the name that's given, and there's something personal about using someone's first name, isn't there? Have you ever had someone, like, say something to you, and you don't remember who they are, and you're like, Hey, buckaroo, and they're like... (laughs) name's not buckaroo and they're like sure sure it is partner right like there's (laughs) I think I called someone buckaroo earlier today actually um there's something personal about calling God by his first name now some scholars actually assert because this word Yahweh is translated in our English but there actually isn't an a or an e there it's what we call aspirate consonants it's Yahweh and some scholars have asserted that the actual sound Yahweh is the same sound as breathing. That I heard a poet say earlier this week that the sound of God, the name of God is the actual breath in our lungs. The first word that you said as a human was the name of God and the last thing you'll say is a prayer to God. Yeah. The sound of breath. And I think it's important for us to start there because God, I believe, desires that kind of intimacy with us, that kind of closeness with us. Some of us were raised with a very different picture of God. So we're going to call God by his name, Yahweh. So the question is this, is God legalistic or gracious? Is he legalistic or gracious? Because how we perceive God will inform how we approach God. Does that make sense? What we believe to be true about him will inform how we actually interact with him. So so quickly, I want to define the word legalism, legalistic. Here's what one scholar says. says, it's an excessive concern for minute details of the law coupled with a neglect of its fundamental concerns. So that's what we're asking. Is God legalistic or gracious? And I'll be really honest. With all the obscure commands in the Old Testament, doesn't it kind of seem like maybe he is? You ever read some of these lists and you're like, okay, there's a lot going on here. Maybe this is a helpful way to think about it. I think a lot of us see God like a referee, right? A referee isn't playing the game. The whole point of the referee is just to stand on the sidelines and blow whistles, right? I brought a whistle with me here. You might want to cover your ears because I have a microphone on. Ready? A lot of us think God is, some of you are actually covering, that's smart. A lot of us think God is kind of like this. Hey, cut that out. Hey, no cigarettes. Hey, don't go to the website. More or less, right? Have you ever seen a referee go, Hey, great job. Just want to let you know you're killing it, right? Have you ever seen a referee go, I love you, right? now. no. <laughs> that was super weird. A lot of us, I think have this picture of God. He's just a referee blowing whistles, calling infractions. And if you're here this morning and that's the picture of God you have, I want you to know that you're not alone. A lot of people were raised or maybe still believe in that version of God. So why do so many people see Yahweh as legalistic? I think there are a lot of reasons, but here are a few. Uh, Reason number one, there are so many commands, right? 613 to be exact. There's laws about what to eat, and what to wear, and how to worship, and how to build things. It can seem like God's legalistic. Now, to be fair, we have lots of laws, too, right? Right? Like, I did a Google search. There's still some weird laws in the books. Like, you can't have a baby alligator in your purse after midnight. Like, there's some odd stuff in the world, which, why after midnight? Why, why? why include that? But, but think of one that we've all seen, right? Like how about the dreaded 25-mile-an-hour speed limit sign? Does anyone in here like driving 25 miles an hour? It's ungodly. It's awful. It's, still, it's so... I mean, I just idle faster than 25. It's, it's insane. We, we're surrounded by laws, and there's a lot of laws, many of which I think we would say, I don't really like that, but I think it's for the good of the community. It's for our flourishing. That's kind of the purpose. Ancient Israel also had a lot of laws. They needed some for their protection, to create a healthy, just society. They were kind of like bumpers that kept them headed in the right direction, and many of them were given at specific times, in specific places, for specific reasons. For example, when they were wandering, there was one set of laws. When they settled in the promised land, there was a different set of laws. We often don't talk about this, but in that 6.13, there are laws for specific reasons, for specific purposes, at specific times. Now, I'll be honest, some of them, though, to our 21st century eyes, they seem really random, don't they? Right? Like, not mixing linens or something about a goat and its mother's milk. Like that can seem very strange to us in our modern context, but I want you to think about it this way. Think, think about the context of this. If I were to stand up here and say, um, men, I would not recommend buying a Sports Illustrated in early February. Men, most of you in the room know what I'm referring to, right? The Sports Illustrated issue after the Super Bowl is the swimsuit edition, right? Can you? Really? Right. (laughs) Lying in church. Come on. Uh, (laughs) But but can you imagine if someone found my notes 3,000 years from now in the year 5019? And they're like, Pastor Ian, don't buy Sports Illustrated in early February. You'd be like, what? Like, that wouldn't make any sense. 3,000 years to the future is as far as we are right now from these commands in the Old Testament. There are some things that I can't explain. I don't have any reason for you. There are other things, though, that I know have to do with a context in a world way different than our own. Reason number two, it's not just that there's so many commands, but there's so many restrictive commands. Did you know that of those 613 laws, 365 of them are negative? Right? Like, that make it like a killer tear-off calendar, right? Like, one negative command per day for a year, Right? what a a way to start your day. It can feel like, like God's just trying to squash our fun, to like rain on our parade. And again, if you feel this way, you're not alone. Because many of us were raised in a tradition that essentially said, if you're happy and you know it, it's a sin, right? Like there's, that's how a lot of us we're raised, And perhaps that's the reason that you walked away from religion in the first place. And I don't think this is a new thing. In fact, you go all the way back to Genesis 3 in the garden. This is the temptation that the serpent begins to whisper into the woman's ears. He begins by this question. Did God really say that? Or maybe you could read it with a different tone. Did he really say that? No, 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 no. He knows that if you eat that fruit, you'll become like him. He's, he's holding out on you. And I think that depiction of the very first humans is what we've been living in ever since. We're always tempted, I believe, at some level to disbelieve God's intent, to disbelieve his motives. Reason number three, there are so many legalistic Christians. Hold your applause. Um, I think, honestly, if we got really real, the reason a lot of people walked away from faith or Christianity of any kind... It's because of Christ's followers, because of Christians. In fact, Mahatma Gandhi pretty famously said this, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Now, we could unpack that for a long time. I have some issues with that, obviously. But many of us walked away because they saw the way that people that were supposed to look like Jesus lived in the world, and they saw anything but. Are we tracking? You get what I'm saying? So many people, I think, believe that Yahweh is legalistic because... They observe the way that we live in the world. So, what does legalism look like for a Christian? Because it's easy for us to think like one dimensional, kind of what a legalistic Christian looks like. But I think here are a couple of examples it's believing that I can earn my salvation on my own, it's shaming others for not being as holy as I am, it's thinking that God loves me more than other people based on how good I am, it's following the letter of the law and missing the spirit of the law. In fact, Jesus withholds his harshest criticisms for religious people like this. When you read the life of Jesus, he's full of grace and mercy and forgiveness and humanity and withholds his harshest criticisms, not for the prostitutes, not for the sex workers, not for the drunks and the gluttons. For who? The religious elite. He's usually saying something like, man, you're holding to the letter of the law and you're missing the spirit of the law. For example, here's a a text of ancient scripture and... um, Let's just say it's about the Sabbath. Let's just say. I don't know. Let's say it is. That's the original, that's the original text, to, to remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy, because you need margin in your life. And here's what the religious elite added to this text here. Everything surrounding it, 39 additional Sabbath laws, and I think probably to give them a fair shake, like with the best of intentions. Like If that's the law, then we don't even want to go there. So they build fence after, fence after fence after fence after fence so we don't even get anywhere close to the point where you couldn't even spit on the Sabbath because if you spit in the dirt, it could accidentally turn into mud and mud was used to make bricks and bricks was considered working. You can could, you could see how legalistic we can become, how easy it is to become legalistic. Another encounter, Jesus is gathering grain and he's doing it on the Sabbath and the religious elite are rebuking him. And again, he says, you're missing the point. The point isn't to hold to the letter of the law and miss the spirit of the law. My men are hungry. I'm hungry. And I think when we live this way, it reflects a poor image of what Yahweh is actually like. So so to get a glimpse of what he's actually like, I thought it would be helpful for us to actually go back to his very first command. What is Yahweh's very first command to the very first humans? Here's, Here's what he says. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Translation, have a whole lot of sex. Am I wrong? How will you be fruitful and multiply? I knew no one would respond to that. (laughs) I was hoping one guy would be like, have sex. No. This is his first command, though. Be fruitful and multiply, right? Some of you, like, just woke up. You're like, what did he say? Oh, yeah, oh. (laughs) Pump the brakes. Hold on. Um, so, so maybe that was a fluke, though, right? Maybe that was a fluke, and then we, like, really get into the Monty Python God, right? Here's his second command. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay. First second command. Have a lot of sex. Thank you. <laughs> this is going to get tweeted now, isn't it? Oh, man. Just be like this. Uh, have a lot of sex eat a lot of food does that sound like a relationship anyone else would be into like this sounds like a religion of grace of mercy of beauty have a lot of sex eat a lot of food is how his posture towards humans begins that's the very start of the story and I think we need to view his commands through that lens so to illustrate that I want to walk through what's maybe the most famous set of laws right perhaps you've heard of the Ten Commandments Right, they were given to Charlton Heston on that mountain that one time. He's the the first guy to ever download to his tablet from the cloud. Um, no, 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 no. That one's for free. That's for free. Um, and and here's what happens: <laughs> we often see the tech commandments, right? And they're usually like stone tablets, or whatever, and they're like perfectly round, which is super realistic. And um, <laughs> And we jump right to this list of do's and don'ts. And so many of us were handed that version of God. Did you know there's a prologue to the Ten Commandments? Here's, Here's what Yahweh says right before the Ten Commandments. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. What that shows to me is two really important things. God is personal, and he's a deliverer. He's a liberator. He's a personal, intimate God, and he sets captives free. We skip this verse and jump right to this list of do's and don'ts. When we jump right to the list and you miss the person of God, the intimacy of God, that informs the way that we read this list, doesn't it? So I want to try and exercise that instead of seeing them as a list of do's and don'ts, I want us to imagine Yahweh saying, imagine if. Okay? Instead of do's and don'ts, it's Yahweh saying, Imagine if. Yahweh says, imagine if you had intimate relationship with me and only me. No more idols and all the things that go with that, but a living relationship with the one who made all of this. Yahweh says, imagine if you lived in a way where true rest is possible. Rather than run ragged, you enjoy a stillness of heart and mind. Yahweh says, imagine if you lived with no desire to take anything that doesn't belong to you. Yahweh says, imagine if you lived with no need to tear people down with your words, your actions. Yahweh says, imagine if you lived with no desire to have some, someone else's life or stuff. Imagine feeling content. Does that, does that change things for you? It certainly does for me. We begin to see, I think much more clearly, Yahweh's heart. This might be a helpful way to think about it. Um, my wife and I just bought a house a year ago, uh, so we're adults now, and, um, no, I'm just kidding, we're not, <laughs> uh, <laughs> please, and the thing that I love the most about this house is this, this fenced-in backyard, um, we closed on this house, like, a week after Owen was born, and I just, I was, like, so excited about this, this picture of him growing, and having a yard, and, um, just being able to, like, run and play, and, and I'm just getting emotional. I'm sorry. I just, I had this picture for this house. And so Owen's just started to walk in the last couple of months. And um, sometimes when I put him in the backyard, he does this. Sometimes he stands at the fence, right? Just fedora, right? Yeah. Uh, So he's in the yard and he's like looking out the fence like the whole rest of the world, "Ah, I'm missing out, right? Like, "Ah, I want to, sometimes that's what we do. We stand at the fence and we're like, oh, but over there and ah, oh, that's uh, literally the grass is greener, right? It's just ah, oh. but he only does that for like a minute or two, and the whole rest of the time, here, here's what Owen typically is doing: is this. And yes, that's a picture of a shark eating a burger and a pizza. Um, <laughs> the joy of watching my boy just run in the yard. The joy as a father, getting to watch him enjoy things that I've been overlooking for decades. Birds and ants and wind and branches and rocks. He collects all of them, not the birds thing, but you get it, like there's. (laughs) And he's got freedom to run there. He doesn't feel choked out. He's like, man, I can't believe dad lets me run in this whole yard. And eventually, he won't need that fence law. Much like with Israel, the laws changed a bit as Israel grew. Like right now, I'm telling him not to touch the stove, but I'm hoping at some point he's going to be cooking mom and dad dinner, right? Hopefully, (laughs) that time will come. But for now, don't touch the stove. I think so often we see fences as restrictive. When really, I believe that they're the way to freedom. The goal of the law was freedom. To guide Israel through her journey so that they would be a set-apart people. So that people would look at Israel and say, man, there's something different about the way they live and the God they serve. They're like bumpers. And the goal wasn't the law itself. Here's what gets really good. The goal was and always has been Jesus. It's always been Christ. In fact, here's how the Apostle Paul put it. Christ is the, what's the word there? End of the law. The fulfillment. The culmination. Jesus is the sum and substance of all of God's promises. If you want to know what God has looked like, look at Jesus. If you want to see how God behaves, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God cares about, look at Jesus. He is the culmination, the fulfillment, the goal, the end of the law. So then we don't see the law as this thing to to be crushed under. There's freedom found in that. It's the point. So my challenge for us today is to not see the law as restrictive, but as, as wisdom From a loving father. Matthew 5, imagine if we saw the command to love your enemies not as weakness, but a way to experience real peace in a divided world. Imagine if we saw the command to be generous, not as God needing our money, but as a way for us to find freedom from consumerism, idolatry, and greed. Imagine if we saw forgiveness, not as being a welcome mat, but of taking bolt cutters to the chains that bind us to the wounds inflicted on us. This book is not a book of rules. It's a story of Yahweh revealing his real heart toward us. Of dad, of Abba, who longs for closeness with us. What if we left today actually believing that Yahweh is for us, not against us? Not, not as some referee blowing a whistle, but as one who's full of grace, longing for wholeness. I think when we actually choose to rest in that, to, to see his, his laws, his commands through that lens, when we understand that, I think we can join the psalmist in saying this. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. I think the psalmist got that when I sit with this law, when I sit with these fences, with these bumpers, this is is me diving deeper into the heart of God. And we we don't obey for God's affection. We don't work for God's approval. We work from it. Because we have everything we need, the fullness of God in Jesus already. We don't do these things in order for him to love us, but because he already loves us fully and completely, we then carry out his mission in the world. That's the invitation. What, what if we understood that every breath that we inhale and exhale in some sacred way is declaring the name of Yahweh again and again and again to a world so desperately in need of it. Let's pray. Yahweh, God, thank you for loving us exactly where we're at, regardless of what brought us in today, regardless of the kind of week we're having. Thank you not just for loving us, but knowing us, of not drawing back, but drawing near. Help us to see you, God, for the loving Father that you actually are. Open our eyes to that reality. We pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.